0: Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined, as always, by Brian Gottlieb. We have a tiny bit of Streets of New Capenna previews, and we're going to talk some modern. But first, Brian, I have like a grinding my gears-esque segment that I want to discuss with you.
1: Well, please, I, w- I would hate to uh, stop you from grinding your gears. So just, just go off, King.
0: So, have you been watching uh, any of the streams where like, people are watching old coverage, for example, Todd Anderson's stream?
1: I've I've popped in for a little bit. Uh, well, specifically because Todd just, like, tagged me one day out of the blue and answered a question I asked on stream. And I'm just like, what are you talking about, Todd? He, I think he literally thought it was just six years ago when he was involved in the discussion. So, I, I caught a little bit of that. But I don't, I don't, like, regularly watch it. I've just popped in here or there.
0: Okay, I mean, maybe it's more appealing for, you know, for, for me, I was going to a lot of those tournaments.
1: Yeah, right? you're, so, you're a player in a lot of them. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, some of them. I, I, I do remember watching a few where I'm just like, was I at this tournament? Was I not at this tournament? Like, what was going on? And there were definitely some where uh, I just couldn't remember. I had no idea mm. uh, because, like, I didn't know the exact time frame and, like, where I lived, but. Certainly once I moved back to Roanoke for a little bit, I was at all of them. Right. But yeah, just watching those old tournaments, there's a lot involved in all of that, right? Like a lot of feelings and emotions, whatever. I'm not going to get into that. That's that's played out, right? But the, the thing that I think about is why could I not, and this, this applies to many, many people, but like why could I not put down the bullshit and just play good decks in tournaments?
1: Well... I would argue – I don't know if I actually believe this. I'm going to argue it anyway because everyone loves when people do that. Um, I would argue that there was a lot of value in you picking up the bullshit because you needed a way to distinguish yourself and market yourself and create a brand for yourself. And look how your brand has endured, even – with all of the the changes, you were still you. You were still Jerry T. You were still out there. People still know for, about for you, better, care about worse. you. Yes. So I understand what you're saying, but you know the answer. Like if you look in your soul, it was about notoriety and attention. You wanted to be the smartest person in the room. That's always what it is. It always, always, always is about that.
0: Yeah, but it's – well. I, I could debate you on that a little bit. I think I think there was something else going on there. I, I certainly do have those feelings, of course. But what happens when you fail, right? It's like you're not the smartest person in the room. Obviously, you're chasing that high of when you actually do gin.
1: When you were the smartest person right. in the room. Yeah.
0: And, and every, well, it, it just takes away from uh, being the smartest person in the room the one time, the other 10 times when you were just, like, very, very not smart. So... Logically, it doesn't really make sense. I think for the purposes of making content, like, yeah, it's good, but also... It's about I think, goals.
1: It's all about goals. Like, if your goal was to win the tournament, it was a really dumb idea. You should have yeah. just focused on playing the best thing possible.
0: Well, that's, that's part of the problem, too, is because I would truly think and feel that I was trying to win the tournament.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that was, like, my number one goal overall. But it wasn't really, you know? And I think now that I'm... I don't know, almost a decade removed from some of those events. Like I, I understand what was going on, but certainly back then it was like, I, I would tell you then, honestly believe it was true when clearly it wasn't because, you know, there were, there were just eras where this thing was obviously the best thing to be doing. And for as well as I did with like Jeskai Black or whatever, it's like clearly rally was the better deck, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's just stuff like that. And I, I think back on my career a lot where there are missed opportunities and, some of them are not as close where it's like, it wasn't really clear what deck was the best. And like, should I have known these things going in with the information I had? Probably not, you know, but there are definitely ones where I'm like, yo, this deck would have been so good that weekend. And obviously I should have known that or, or like I did know it, but I just played some bullshit instead.
1: I think there's, there's two alternative explanations you can push as to why uh maybe you didn't make those decisions as often as you should have. First is, level of discourse, technology, understanding, like all of those things. I I know it feels like it wasn't that long ago, right? How much less could we possibly have known, but that's not the way these games work. Like you just, the community collectively understands more over time. There's more experience to draw from, you know, I, I always go back to Ponder as an example and like Ponder probably not seen as much play as it should have when it was, first legal and now maybe you
0: that that discussion actually came up on one of Todd's recent streams
1: sure and I think I think that's fair like there's there's debate to be had I I don't think you could say it was played enough like you can certainly right. debate yeah, various yeah. spots yeah but- it's like
0: should you have played it in fairies it's like right, I, I think that's the one I think the the jury's still out on that one sure yeah. that's
1: that's fair but regardless the card should have been played more and if it was released now or really anything close to ponder that would inform the decision-making process. So things like that change over time. I also think there's some... No, you know what? I'm not even going to make that argument. I'm going to leave it at that. That That's my other interpretation of how that could happen. So
0: my, my, my feelings on this at the time were, I want to play the best deck that I also enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. And because I, I'm playing these tournaments every weekend, and I didn't want to just like play Jund or whatever. It's just, it's boring. It's repetitive. It's not fun. And I think that the fire is really lit when I am engaged. And I think that I probably cared a lot more in a lot of the tournaments as a result because of that. And I I've given this advice before where it's like, get the, the bullshit out of your system on ladder or in the magic online queues. But when it's time for the tournament, actually like play the good thing. And uh-huh. It it makes it feel like work in a lot of instances, but it all depends on like, you know, what you want to happen as a result of the tournament. Right.
1: Yeah. And it, it does tell the final table, right? That's like when it all, yeah. The, the actual act of being in contention for winning a big event takes over any deck decisions and any, like, did I enjoy this play style at that point?
0: Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think back on a lot of these tournaments and, even even with like whatever accolades or like people say about me or whatever it's just like i i should have won a lot more you know and i should have been trying to win a lot more and i just wasn't there there were so many legacy opens dude where i just played like random garbage because i just wanted to have fun mm. and i didn't have like many opportunities to play legacy and it's just like i should have just like played delver or miracles or whatever and like won those tournaments and then when people are like oh you know who's the best seg tour player it's like it's me obviously you know like that would be cool
1: yeah, well next go around. You can feel free to always play the best deck. I can't fault you. You're speaking to someone who uh you know, registered Thalia in his Miracles deck at a GP lost playing for top eight. Oh yeah, yep. Thalia goddess of the sea it was oh, Thassa, Thassa Thassa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My fault. I was like um, Thalia
0: doesn't make any sense. It
1: does. It does not. No, that would be very silly. Thassa goddess of the sea was what Th- I was thinking of.
0: Th- Thassa not terrible. I remember some people playing that as like a one of.
1: Yeah, I think it was me. I think it was just me and me talking people into it. And I okay. had like enlightened tutor package and humility. This was like during the sneak and show era. Okay. So.
0: Well, I think that enlightened tutor is just a bad card.
1: Probably true. And I, I, I'm I'm not here to support my decisions. I'm just saying, like, if I had just played Miracles, which I was playing basically at the start of that right. deck existing, I was very very good at playing. I probably like top eight at that tournament. And,
0: yeah. You know. Yeah. So I don't know. But he, I also
1: remember a mirror match where I pulled my second counterbalance to turn on my Thassa and got to kill his Jace the Mind Sculptor. So was it worth it? Maybe it was worth it.
0: Yeah, but that could have been a Vidalian
1: click that nah, just like, killed him. You I'm know, not talking about that. If I know. Had to I be, know. know had to be the thassa.
0: Anyway, I'm just I'm watching these streams and I'm just like, you know, damn it, why just every every year that is like not now. I'm just like I was so much less smart than I am now and made poor decisions and they're not life-altering decisions or anything, but it's like why was younger me uh, you know, not as smart as current me? And it's like, well, clearly that's the answer, but still.
1: Yes, that is unfortunately the way life works and you can't go back and do those things over, so Uh, Just take solace in the fact that you can recognize that younger you was a crappier person. If you didn't have that experience and and that knowledge, you would just have been stagnant all this time.
0: Isn't it wild that some people get crappier as they get older?
1: (laughs) It it is wild. That blows my mind. I I hope I'm avoiding that myself. But there are like, I think my general arc is one of redemption and being better. But also there's discrete elements a fuck it all in there like that's just yeah. totally woven in no i feel you but I, I think the net is still i turn out a better person it's just you run out of patience for some things as as you near the climax of your life so
0: i totally understand that so yeah just folks when you're when you're making decisions uh especially like what deck to play obviously that there are factors that come into it it's like you know if you're playing modern you only own one modern deck or whatever or you don't want to pay $50 for Goldspan Dragons or whatever the the answer is. I mean, I think that within your means with what you have available to you and what your goals are, be honest with yourself. And if you are me and, you know, you you do desperately want to win the tournaments and you want to like look back and be like, I tried my hardest to actually win those tournaments, then just do that, follow through on that. And I think regardless of the outcome, I I would have been more pleased with what happened in those events because there there are events where maybe I had a near miss or like I day two and did kind of mediocre or whatever, but I was like, I had the right deck, you know, and I I made good choices and that is the thing that makes me happy. And I guess, you know, maybe something different makes other people happy, but that's, that's kind of how I look at it. So that was just my thing. Uh, And certainly like looking back too, there's just like so many other people who are playing decks that were not, going to give them the best chance of winning while also kind of doing the same thing as me. But it's like, I don't know, why Why are we doing this?
1: I'm, I'm now concerned. It's virtually impossible for this to be true. I am I am concerned that you are making a veiled criticism of the Earthlore Starvo deck I posted on our website today. <laughs> for, for <laughs> that's, and Blood. that's a
0: good segue. That's a good like segue you, right you there. You
1: secretly have learned, as far as I know, you don't know how to play the game, but you secretly learned it I and do. are evaluating my deck and just trying to trash it right here on the air.
0: I don't know how to play the game, but uh, this is flesh and blood. And yes. I I did click on the article and I did read it until it was very clear that none of these words made any sense to me. I said
1: that at the start. Of, it was literally the first no, sentence I, of the article.
0: I know, man, but I'm trying to, you know, be supportive and like, read I, the I thing appreciate and the see how it goes. I right. But it. then it just, at some point, like my eyes glazed over and I just sure. started skimming because yep. I just, I can't help it. I um and I I don't know man. I understood the the premise of some of the stuff that you were getting to where it's just like this is a thing that is maybe more difficult to achieve but the upside is better.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I love that. I live for that. That that's that's like potentially metagame breaking stuff. There was a card in Kaijudo that was a one-mana spell that was just give a creature haste. Okay. And I just busted a format with it. Just straight up like cracked it in half, broke the game, it was never the same again
1: yeah so this is like kind of related to the point too about like knowledge and uh collective knowledge is flesh and blood strikes me as a very unrefined game at this point, and i I just think like there are fundamentals that people have picked up that were good for the nascent stages of the game, and i I'm not sure that some of those fundamentals are are adapting appropriately, or I'm just wrong, which I'm totally willing to say is a possibility. And, you know, people who have been around the game longer than me are going to ultimately be proven right. Totally possible. Just the way I perceive things, some things seem out of whack, and it seems like people are defaulting to certain options way too readily. And I want to challenge that a little bit. So am I doing the same thing, though? Am I just playing a worse version of the deck I don't think so, but maybe I'll look back on this five years from now and just be like, "Wow, I should have just played that other deck."
0: Maybe, but you know, again, it, it depends on what your goal is. You're talking about in your article where you're just like, you know, maybe this is the best thing to be doing, right? And I think that until you know that answer for sure, you can't necessarily say like, "Oh, I I was trying my hardest or I wasn't trying my hardest," because it's like you also didn't have to play in a tournament and make a decision as to what to play.
1: Right. right? And it's different. It's not like I can, you know, flesh and blood, there's no magic online equivalent. So I'm going to eventually play a tournament with this deck, and that's how I can figure it out. Until then, I, I can't get any kind of feedback. And also, even that is not going to be a large enough sample size. So you just can't generate the same kind of sample sizes under an all-paper TCG, which is one of the things that's very interesting about the game.
0: But yeah. Anyway... That was my rant. You posted a uh, Flesh and Blood. You've marred our beautiful Magic website with a, a hideous Flesh and Blood article. No,
1: uh, if there's, you, I you are welcome to have any criticisms you want of Flesh and Blood. The cards are very nice, though. The art's beautiful. Uh, the game's also very good. But uh, we don't have to have that debate. It's just it's a very nice thing <laughs> I, to have on our I website. I think I can't debate you because I don't know. That's true. That's true. I don't
0: know. I take your word for it. And there are, there are a lot of people that do like the game. I just have apprehensions about buying into a new game when so many of them, I have done that. And then they've been like dead in two years, you know? Yeah,
1: like, I, I can't make an argument against that. That that's is a, a real thing that can always happen.
0: So. That's, that's honestly my only apprehension towards it. And it's like, once it seems like it has solid footing and everything, then I, I I'd be willing to try it, especially if, a lot of like, you know, my, my friends and peers are playing it too. Yeah.
1: Well, you will be welcome with open arms when you're ready.
0: And then I can teach you all how to build decks.
1: There you go. <laughs> like I said, that's part of the draw.
0: Uh, streets. There was a daily MTG stream that uh, was a preview. It was like a uh, prebeat, I believe is, is what Blake called it, where it's basically just some stuff to showcase like the set symbol and the logo for the set and some of the the products that are coming out and do like a little bit of preview stuff. Just like a little tiny drip of spoilers kind of like for everything that was involved. Like they showed off uh, a lot of the art and some of the basic lands and stuff like that. So not a ton of spoilers, not a ton of hot action to talk about, but we did get to see that there are shard triumphs, which is cool. They're not explicitly called triumphs and they have specific names, which makes it less likely that they get reprinted.
1: Yeah. An odd decision, especially when they were seemingly so thoughtful about that the first go around.
0: Well, I I mean, maybe, maybe you think it's odd, but maybe it's correct. Right. Where they're just like, well, we're, we did this once. It was, we didn't like it. We didn't like what happened. So we've just decided that we're not going to do it again. And then if I guess if they want to do it again, they can just rename them or whatever, do slightly different lands instead of cycling, have a different mechanic or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I didn't see anything about that last experiment that would lead me to believe that it wasn't a good idea to do so, but also I don't know if there's sort of less of a need for thematic reliance at this point, because there are so many products and different homes for these cards where if they like need a reprint, you can you can kind of do it somewhere else or you can just call back to this place. I mean they they do return to planes quite often. This is a new and novel plane, although so is Ikoria. So yeah, I don't know. It, it struck me as an odd decision, but ultimately I'm just happy to have these cards back. I I like playing with them quite a bit. So
0: I like them too. I didn't play a ton with Triumphs, just in general. Obviously there's you know one in a lot of different modern decks or whatever, but uh-huh. But as far as like jamming the the quad Trium standard decks or like playing eight of them in some four color urian nonsense or whatever, I didn't do a lot of that. So it's kind of weird. That's interesting.
1: I feel like my decks always had four. I don't know why we ended up on different sides of the deck building equation there.
0: You like going a little bit bigger. You like being a little bit more mid range. And if I can build like a cleaner two color deck, I usually will. And when we were talking about Ponder earlier, one of the things I thought of was how I won an open uh with three preordains and one ponder in my Coblade deck. This is like after Stoneforge Fortune Chase got banned. Mm-hmm. Basically because people were just like preordain's always better and like you don't play ponder. And I was like, Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I'm Take gonna this. I'm gonna try a ponder instead for science, you know? And I had a bunch of fetch lands, like more fetches than people were normally playing, but I also had a Miri Angel, and I also liked Celestial Colonnade way less than other people. Mm-hmm. So people would jam like four colonnades and it would, you know, not not only just mess up your first turn in a lot of instances or like your turn four or something, but then it would also mess up your glacial fortresses a lot of the time. So a lot of the time right. I only played like three glacial fortresses too. And then I was thinking about, you know, Ponder and Preordain were both legal. Yeah. In standard for a with, long with time. With
1: Splinter Twin. Right. Like Splinter Twin was too. It's, it's just a mind blowing standard to think back on. Yeah. Uh,
0: especially and, for
1: one that's like, granted there were there were bands and it, that was novel at the time but i do think there's a lot of fondness for that particular standard that has now built up over time
0: yeah even even though it was pretty terrible it was just like you you could do three maybe four strategies yep for that sure. were even close to viable and everything else was just dead money and like i i'm not being hyperbolic <laughs> when i say that yeah yeah i was thinking about like yeah maybe i should have just play like six cantrips or eight cantrips and cut all my colonnades. And like, what would my deck look like? And uh, I think that was an opportunity for Ponder to see more play. And I mean, it certainly did in the splinter twin decks. Yep. So pretty, pretty interesting. And that is my aversion to triumphs. I just don't like lands that ETP tapped. It sucks.
1: I feel you. I, I think you're right that I kind of build more to decks that can bear that. And but when I'm in a scenario like you're describing, when I'm trying to make a two color mid range deck, I'm I'm not one of those who's like, oh, I play this for the cycling value in my two color deck. That right. uh, doesn't work for me. Maybe with some exceptions.
0: I think if you're playing like Jund or Teemer or something, you'll always start with like four triomes or four raging ravines or whatever. And I'm just like, How can I get some of these out of my deck? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's just who we are as people. Yeah, that works. But yeah, either way, cool. And will almost certainly be necessary. I mean, I guess like right now, I've, I've been playing some of the Esper Tokens deck and you you have 12 Pathways and the the duels, I don't even know what we're calling them, like the, the, the duels that you play last.
1: Yeah, I don't feel like we've established a good name for them.
0: That's because no one plays Standard or whatever. No one, no one talks about them. No one talks yeah. about this stuff. It's not part of the discourse, Brian. Fair enough. Uh but yeah, you just play a bunch of those. You still have some room for like an Iganjo, maybe a Takanuma, maybe some hive of the eye tyrants, depending on what you're doing. And oh,
1: you're you're doing a great job learning the names of those Kamigawa lands, I have to say.
0: I don't know the second part of them in a lot of instances.
1: Yeah, I there's very few first parts I know. I I know Baseiju. Uh like Shakazan or something is Sekenzin, the, Sekenzin okay. Uh, so not Shaka-Zan, you're saying?
0: Yeah, not Shaka-Khan or whatever you're thinking okay. of. Uh,
1: Yeah, that's about all I have.
0: What's rest? What's the, the last one? I got talking to uh, Besayju. Obviously, you know, Besayju.
1: Yeah, I said Besayju. Okay. What Otawara, Soaring City. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's the one we were missing. Welcome to another episode of Us Naming Stuff. Everyone's yeah. favorite content.
0: Uh, So, yeah, I, I basically my point is like the, the three color mana is already pretty good. And if anything, what it's lacking is like how many eye twitches and shambling gas do you want to play? And then how many untapped turn one black sources do you want? And Mm -hmm. how many of the the dual lands do you want to cut down on so that you can play like a two drop on two and a three drop on three? Because you don't want to be like, ah, turn one eye twitch and then turn two like tap land, right? Right. So uh, obviously things are going to change. And I would assume the decks that come out of streets are going to be built to be able to like be played with the triumphs, right? Like you're, they're probably not going to be loaded up on, on one drops.
1: Yeah. You assume we're looking at, you know, powerful wedge cards now. So,
0: right. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to have very good mana with the triumphs. You're probably going to see me cutting triumphs in a lot of instances. Good times. I look,
1: for, I look forward to the cuts.
0: And then uh, the other thing they previewed was an ascendancy that I'm not going to read because whatever.
1: Yeah. Not very good. But Ascendances uh, are back, which yeah, is fine to have that cycle back,
0: which is interesting because I'm going through and like finishing up my uh, Developing Cons of Tarkir series. And mm-hmm. this one that I, I almost have done part two talks a lot about Jeskai Ascendancy.
1: Oh, that's cool. Cool little contrast with uh, what's happening right now in design as we revisit these themes.
0: <laughs> also, if you go back and look at some of my decks, I had I had like a lot of teamer decks without the, the Triland in it, you know, <laughs> just even back then, man. I was just like, how can I get these these shrylands out of my deck? They kind of suck. Like temples, yeah. people were playing off color temples. I was like, what are you doing? I don't even want to play the four. Uh,
1: I like the off color temples. I
0: know, I know. But yeah, was, I, in was, in fairness, that, that blue white deck, like, like you just you played like an Azorius charm and a syncopate and a jace, and then all your lands get ETB tapped. Like you didn't really care.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm thinking back to like mono black. I enjoyed the temple temples there, and I know a lot of people were strongly against them.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I caught them all the time. Yeah,
1: I, I played a lot of temples.
0: I th- I think, I don't know, it'd be interesting to go back and and look at that too, because there was an Invitational in Indianapolis that was on my way to driving to Wizards to start working at Wizards. So packed up all our stuff, went to Indy, I top at the Invitational, and then I drove to Wizards to start working at Wizards. And I played Mono Black Devotion there, and it was like, GP Louisville was the weekend before, which is where like Brad Todd and BBD all made top eight with it. Okay. And so it was like when the deck was first starting to get tuned. And I think I might've played like, did I play three pack rats or something? I might've only played three pack rats. Cause I was like, Oh, it's pretty bad against beat down or whatever. And I'm curious to see Like how many temples I played in that versus like when I got out of wizards, you know, if I was playing, there was definitely an Invitational where I played mono black. I didn't do very well. I had a Typhoid Rats on my sideboard. Don't ask. But I'm curious Uh, how many temples I played. It was probably zero.
1: That might have been... No, it was never pre-temple, right? It was the same set, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, they're all the same Yeah, because
1: I think you're talking about Las Vegas, the one that Max Brown won with also Mono Black.
0: No, Uh, I mean, I might have played Mono Black in that one too if I was qualified or could play or whatever. It was weird. There
1: there used to be a a lot of Magic tournaments back in the day. How about that?
0: Yeah, there there was a Jersey one. This is where I met Devin O'Donnell. Okay. He beat me soundly with Model Blue Devotion and my Typhoid Rats did not save me, unfortunately. No,
1: they weren't good enough.
0: I mean, they might've been good enough. I just didn't really draw them. Maybe I should've played more Typhoid Rats. Maybe that was the problem. But it was just like, that. that's another instance where I'm playing Model Black because it's like, I got Thoughtsies and Underworld Connections and these cards are tight and I like them, right? And then I'm just getting beaten to death with like Frostburn Weirds and stuff. And I'm just like, your yeah. deck looks so bad, but it beats me every time. And it's like so hard. I never played mono blue during that entire period. Really? Yeah.
1: I, I played two decks during that entire format, mono blue mono black. Uh, and I, I liked both of them. And I think it was correct to play one at sometimes, and it's correct to play the other at other
0: times. I, I think that if I picked up mono blue, I would have not put it down. And I would have won a lot more.
1: I believe that. Uh, very, very high skill ceiling, but also just capable of like blowing your opponents up too. So
0: Yeah, it was powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it for streets. I think uh, previews officially start in April. It was like yeah, April seventh to April fifteenth. One week long, they're yeah, very short previews, yeah. very short preview window. Uh, this is this is the first set also where the pre release is before the arena
1: release, which is good. Yeah, I love this. I I just think like you completely invalidated any reason to do the pre release. I mean, I guess if you were to give me full control, I'd just like kill the pre release. I think and just have like a release party. And focus on that. It's weird to have a pre-release. But if you're going to do a pre-release, if you're convinced it's important, it has to happen in paper. It has to.
0: It's hard to convince me to kill pre-releases when there's always so much excitement surrounding them. And it gets but Wouldn't people... that just get
1: transferred to, to the release party?
0: No, because you changed the branding, right? It's like you change Pro Tour to Set Championship and suddenly everyone doesn't care. They did that. <laughs> weird.
1: And then they made a billion dollars- Which is the coast had its first billion dollar year. I don't know if you knew that, Gerald.
0: Uh you told me earlier, but Yeah. I was depressed. I was was trying to keep
1: some some mystery behind the podcast. I was
0: depressed then and and now I'm now I'm depressed again now that you brought it up. It like I pushed it out of my mind, you brought it up again. Think of think of all the people that like only go to pre-releases, right? They show up out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. to go to pre-releases or they don't play magic for like years they forget about and they're like oh new set pre releases coming up and they know what a pre-release is because like the branding is there and it's existed for so long and they know what they're getting into and they they know that it's like an onboarding type of event right where it's like you're not required to have like so much knowledge about the game and the format and the cards and everything like that needs to exist that is sacred
1: nothing is sacred to these people first of all second of all i just think like the branding of release party expresses many of the same things that the branding of pre-release party. Now, granted, are there a bunch of people who know what one is and would treat the release as different? Sure. But I mean, again, we're talking about like you're, you're, you're referring to people who have been around forever, right? That was kind of the argument. And current magic is so much bigger than the people who have been around forever. There's a reason all this stuff has moved on from and like Ooh. forgotten about.
0: I I don't mean been around forever, like has played for 10 years and then quit. It could be like someone who has played in like three pre-releases over the course of eight years.
1: Yeah. I I just think if you're an average consumer, not super invested in Magic the Gathering, the concept of a pre-release doesn't make really any sense. And like everything else in the world would do a release party except a TCG where a pre-release has like become sort of a thing.
0: I, I agree. I'm just saying that like now we live in the world we're in that that brand carries weight maybe it's not sacred to wizards it is sacred to me i feel like they should keep it and i feel like if you get those players who are like they they hear a set is coming out they're like oh when's the pre-release and someone's like oh they don't do pre-releases anymore but you can go to a release party they're like oh probably not because i, I would automatically assume that they assume that that is going to be a different event and if you're going to maintain it e- even i don't know like I guess pre-release like the whole point of it is like it coming up before the set comes out right and you're trying to have like a release party like come on in buy all your boxes play whatever formats right yeah and I get that I I think that if anything you just keep holding the pre-release you keep calling it the pre-release and then you do it on release day yeah you just do it on release day
1: okay that I I am I am in line with that idea that makes sense
0: and then people are like why do they call it a pre-release and just like shut up. No one asked you, you know, like, (laughs) well, no, here,
1: here's how I would do it. Here's how I would answer that. Like if the set came out at, uh, it comes out March 4th. So it comes out tomorrow. The pre-release would be tonight from like 8 PM to 12 PM or something like that. Yeah.
0: But I still want people to just like roll in after work, pick up their case or whatever, and then go back home. Yeah. You can say the set comes out at March 4th, but you still sell it on the third.
1: But if you're doing the tournament thing, then you're allowed to like sell more of it. Right, because it's the release parties so, or the pre-release parties. Yeah,
0: so. whatever. I mean, we we yeah. can figure it out, you know. But yeah, I, dude, yeah. There, with
1: I, our I, with our keys to the castle, Antras, this will be the next thing we uh, tackle. Christ.
0: um, I I've I've known so many of those people over the years, man, and I've lived in so many different places. Like I I know a lot of people.
1: the, right? the just pre-releasers you're talking about.
0: Well, I just know a lot of people in general, and so many of them like fall under that category.
1: Where yeah, it's like I can think of a lot of people like that as well.
0: Pre-pre-release just like is evocative for someone who has like played in one or more than one of them, right? Yeah. And they know right. exactly what it is. And it's it's just like so strong that it's just like I'm going to a PTQ or FM or a release party, and it's just like nothing, nothing, nothing. You say, like, do you want to come to a pre-release with me or whatever? and they're just like at the very least, they're like, yeah, I'll consider that. That yeah. that could maybe be good, you know? Okay. Sacred. There, there are no sacred cows. This might be one.
1: Let's check back in a year on this. Remind me in one year, uh, listeners, put Un- a note in your calendar right
0: Unless now. Unless you're just like, oh, I don't care, burn it down. You know, I mean, like it's just
1: like when they start changing things <laughs> like they've moved this one, right? Like this is in a different time slot than these have been for a while. Then I start I start scratching my head like uh, they're coming. Are they coming for this, too? Like is someone up the chain unhappy with the timing of pre-releases now? And- well, that was
0: a bad idea. Right. I agree. And I, agree. I, I think that that messed with the sacredity.
1: <laughs> that is definitely not the word, but I'll, I'll allow it
0: uh yeah the the sacredity of yeah. uh i'm an english right? major
1: i can give you a, a one-time pass for that word i said it twice okay but well, the second one didn't count
0: okay good because you show up to a pre-release now and you're in that camp of people and people have already played with the cards for four days and it's like right. come on yep you know we're just here to like have some fun and like read cards and make mistakes and hopefully open like adobe foil or whatever like what the hell it's just some messed converse- up conversation
1: kind of makes me want to experience a pre-release again Cause I'm thinking back to like the ones I did and like them being very good times and enjoying myself. I don't know if I would have the same experience these days.
0: They, they, they were try. good times until I was kind of like, maybe not at my height, but like before it. And this is like me, you know, sharking local tournaments, not like this is kind of like good guy ish Jerry, but like still super spiky and wants to win. Right. So it's like, okay. I would, I would go to these tournaments to like win a hundred bucks or whatever. And, show up to a pre-release to get my 20 bucks worth of equity yep. and sometimes it was like oh well, i need to collect packs to to draft to yeah, test yeah. for the pro tour or whatever that. so sure. it's like my intentions weren't all like super evil or anything but it was still just like at some point it just dawned on me that like more fun is had like even if i'm in the room more fun is had if i don't play in the tournaments
1: yep yep i've had the same feelings
0: and there, there have been a couple of times since then where it's like I, I'm just going to go and have fun. I have no ulterior motives. I don't care about winning. And like I, I went with some folks who fall under the like occasional pre-release crowd or whatever. And you know, you just go to BS and whatever happens happens. And I, I think that that was fun. And I can like tone it down when that's the the instance, right? But it's like when I'm fighting for rent money or I need to get packs, like getting packs before for pro tour. It was a
1: huge deal. It was hard. Yeah. It was So
0: hard. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've not played in many pre-releases in the last 10 years or so, but definitely when I first started playing magic, it was just like, you know, my house would have to be on fire for me to miss one. Right.
1: Agreed. Yep.
0: So sacred. Anyway, arena decklist.gg website. You can go to also, if you just type with inertia and you type.com, that's fine too. You'll get redirected. Started posting some content there. I have some deck of the days. I've not really tweeted about this because I wanted to get sort of like a backlog of content up so that the website didn't look super scarce or whatever. But like this is going to be an ongoing thing like Brian was talking about. He posted a flesh and blood article, uh, presumably just because it was like on your mind, right?
1: Yeah, just something I was working on. And one of the one of the coolest things about being a freelancer now is that uh, I can write a short article. You know, I could I could write a 200 word article if I want to. If I don't feel like writing, I'm not going to write. I'm just going to put stuff up as it occurs to me. And this was something that I was working on for my own personal edification. Uh, I actually tweeted it first and I was like, well, why am I tweeting this? Why don't I just go ahead and make an article from this?
0: I saw it uh, and then I saw yeah. later that the tweet was deleted and I was like, well, oh, also no.
1: the other thing was I was very sleepy when I was doing it. And then I like went back. I, I don't know why I don't proofread my tweets before I send them. I, I proofread them after I send them. And it was I, just like, I do that too. Yeah, it was sloppily written, and I was just like, "This is—I look like an idiot." So I just deleted it and then wrote an article instead.
0: Yeah, so there's that stuff. We have tier lists for standard and modern that are currently up, and we're planning on updating them basically every week. But
1: yeah, I think standard—I'm just going to always do it every week. There's, there'll always be something. Modern—I'm uh, going to basically adapt as the format, you know, suggests I should.
0: Right, and. That it doesn't happen all that often. I mean we we've obviously seen like a lot of shifts in metagames uh, since m h two came out because things are still kind of getting solidified, but I think that they're pretty well solidified now.
1: I would agree with that.
0: yeah uh, although there are some tournaments coming up, so maybe maybe things can change. and there's always like some weird stuff that happens in the challenges and that influences how how and what, like, people play on Magic Online in the coming weeks and everything. So, like, there are things that happen. It's just, like, the good stuff is good in a lot of instances.
1: Yeah, curious to see as, you know, the paper metagame starts rolling again with various spot tournaments, either SEG cons or uh, NRG series, a lot of independent circuits kind of trying to get their feet under them right now. And I, I think checking out those results is going to be really interesting because so I want to see how closely they track to the online metagame.
0: Yeah, Hunter Burton Memorial is happening March 12th. Yep, great I think point.
1: Too. Yep, right around the corner, Hunter, Hunter Burton. You know, we, we always wanted to go to everyone and just with everything going on, it hasn't worked out the last few go-arounds. Let's make a point if things are doing well make sure we get back to the next one. It's been too long.
0: I mean, if they, if things are going well, yes. I mean, you're, you're probably going to see me all over the place because I'm, I'm fiending to hang out with people, but like in order for me to feel comfortable doing that and make it feel like I'm not being a net negative on society by being a possible like vector or whatever, then uh, it's going to take a lot.
1: Yep. I feel you.
0: So we'll see. But I I mean, I do want to go. I do still support that event. I do like that event. You know, big modern tournament, usually some cool stuff comes out of it. But yeah, as far as uh, the tier lists are concerned, modern tier lists is pretty interesting. If you go on like Goldfish and look at the meta game breakdown, for example, this is not like a direct paste of that. And there are some reasons for that. I guess like we should talk about both like the decks that are here and kind of the ones that are not here, right?
1: Yeah, uh, that's the biggest talking point as I post this article. It's it's less, you know, I, I disagree with your tier one. It's just, where's this deck? That's the question you get asked more than anything else. So, you know, I think there's probably some expanding to do on what is here and why we like it as much as we do. And then, like you said, what's not here is just as important part of the story.
0: Thing I like to do, so Goldfish posts the winner's metagame effectively, right? So it's not like the actual metagame of the tournament. It's not even necessarily like what is the best because a thing that can be the best uh, could have just like shown up in the last couple of weeks or whatever, mm. right? But yep. then, then it automatically shows you like 30 days worth of data where it's like, oh, well, maybe this other deck was winning a bunch before it. So now it's not like super up to date, right?
1: Yeah, great starting point though. I mean, I, yeah. I use it as a tool all the time, so.
0: But one of the things <laughs> I like doing is like going back to like, Changing it to fourteen days or seven days, yep, and seeing what really changes. And I guess not—not not a ton has changed. Like things, things move up and down a little bit, but that's it. And some of it too for modern. I mean, it's like the the four color deck is like two thousand dollars or whatever. So that yeah, could that's potentially be have some
1: influence on things. Absolutely.
0: So, uh, tier one we have Gris's Death Shadow and various various builds of Hammer. So white X hammer, sometimes blue, sometimes black, sometimes mono white.
1: Basically, no pushback on these two being the top two decks. Good call. I, I think that's consensus at this point. I, I define Grixis Death Shadow as the prototypical modern deck at this point. I think that cheap spells, incredible threats, also very cheap, kind of niche inclusions that just do a very good job. I'm thinking specifically of things like Dress Down. Uh, addressing the broader metagame, and then you head to your sideboard and there's great tools there too. And something like this feels like it should always be atop the modern metagame. That's not always the case. And some of that is these decks get targeted. Sometimes other other times it's just the linear stuff is so good Uh, and you know set askew by various overpowered printings, be it Hogak eras or Urza eras. All these things can overcome just the really beautiful construction of the death shadow deck but it never feels like it's going to go away like it's always going to be part of the equation and i I think that's a good thing i think this is a very good best modern deck
0: i do too it means that you're usually safe in your investment in a lot of this stuff right like things things may come and go maybe at some point they they ban Ragavan for whatever reason not that i think that they're going to but you know regardless it's just like well your, your death shadows are still probably going to be pretty good you have like all your duels and fetches whatever grix's stuff yep. is is pretty nice and i i think in the metagames that you're talking about where like hogak specifically it's like yeah obviously you can't do something like this is just like too inherently fair i played john did a pro tour where you could play hogak so i know but in the instances where it's not like really really weird like something like hogak exists and is clearly going to get banned i think that in those instances it's a shell like this has not been found or worked on enough to the point where you can get to something that is successful. And that is kind of what happened with this Grixis Shadow deck. It's like, it didn't exist until someone put it together and like tuned it to the metagame and included the stuff like the Dress Downs. So Mm -hmm. uh, eventually we got to this place where the list is very tuned and maybe you see like a 10 card difference between lists in various topics. You know, it's like so many of the things are just like... I I think people are even, like, scared to try new stuff at this point because the deck has been winning so much with its current incarnation.
1: I get that. And it's hard to kind of improve on perfection. Like, you're just looking at some of the most efficient spells you can possibly have for their roles and the most efficient threats you could have in their roles. And then all of it tied together by Lurus means you're having a lot of your choices restricted anyway. You can't even consider the possibility that, oh, maybe I should work my way up the curve. And that's my biggest knock on Lurus. Like, I don't even think it's a problematic card to have in modern in terms of like play patterns it's just stifling so much creativity and so many options at this point where i think we'd be better off without it i think almost every deck that it exists that plays lurus will continue to exist after lurus is gone and probably most of them will be very very good
0: right except so, except then you get to play like or angler and sideboard right, or whatever right you know you and that's
1: get, it that's more interesting to me it
0: is for sure yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, maybe these decks would play like Murktide Regent too, you know?
1: Right. Right. So so I am pro Lurus Ban. Uh, I'm pro unprinting the companions. Like obviously just the most egregious mistake probably in magic history, I would say at this point, uh, especially as originally printed. And now even with the massive massive errata they still restrict this format it's such dude, a it's, it's
0: so degree. laughable to me they added three mana to them three, three mana and in some instances it's like a in some instances it's like okay you put your kahira in your hand and you pitch it to solitude like that's that's cool that's a thing that they couldn't do before so it's not like a uh you know full-on nerf but mm-hmm. for the most part it's like such a ridiculous nerf and they're, they're still just all over the place
1: yeah just wild a wild wild misstep and uh yeah remember when the answer to companions was that we were just gonna have companions in every set like that's what everyone thought was going to happen with them
0: i i would be fine with that versus versus like you know lurus yorian everywhere
1: right well that was the only if companions exist that's the only thing that makes sense right is they have to exist forever and be a huge part of the game and that was obviously not the intended application so
0: I mean, maybe it was. Maybe it was like every year or something, but
1: probably not anymore. So, Yeah, I don't think so. Anyway,
0: yeah, delete Lurus from existence. It's fine.
1: Yep. Also in our second best deck, obviously, Hammer Time. And you mentioned the various builds of this deck. Is, is there one that catches your eye right now that you're particularly fond of?
0: This is one of the decks where I'm just like, I look at it and it looks kind of inefficient and playing some cards that you don't really want to be playing. And like, they, they all serve a purpose. They all have a role, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like, I, I feel like Hammer specifically is the type of deck where if you do figure out the right build, figure out a way to make it like a little bit smoother or whatever, it's just like, it, it it's going to be so good, you know?
1: Yeah, well, it's already at the top of our tier list. So it's not doing bad for itself. I know,
0: that that's why it's scary. Granted, it's an artifact deck, right? So it is... Very easy to figure out what sort of stuff you're supposed to point at it to fight. But mm-hmm. my thought is that like if you do streamline it or figure out like uh, a better second piece to put in it or something, then maybe you get to sidestep some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a very good reason to keep exploring, you know, recent evolutions, things like the reality chip. It's, it's so interesting to me. I'm, I'm not even sure it's like offering a useful new angle, but there's no question it just changes the way the deck can play and the type of situations it can play through. Uh and I think what that does, it it makes this a staple in the metagame. It means the deck's going to be able to adapt depending on what else is going on. And I also just think like every single sideboard used to start with, oh, I'm, you know, here's my hammer suite. I have to be prepared for this deck. Otherwise, what am I doing with my time here? That doesn't really happen to the same degree anymore. And the deck hasn't gotten any worse or any less represented really so it's a good time to be a hammer player i think
0: yeah i think so too i i remember when i started working on grixis uh more of control thing rather than shadow but i, w- I would play against hammer and just be like all right i need to add one more piece of removal i need to add one more piece of removal you know <laughs> like the number just kind of kept going up because yeah. i always felt like i was starting from behind and then Maybe game one was like 40-60 or something, but it's like then if you lose game one, it's so easy for them to like steal one in the post game. So I felt like I had to be like overly prepared for them always. And I, I see this happen a lot of times to like streamers too, where it's like they, they build a deck, they don't explicitly try to hate out this deck like first and foremost, and then you just get got by it. It, just, yeah. it, it happens because their deck is like so ruthless and so efficient. And obviously they have some games where it's like you draw... Memnites and Ornithopters and Springleaf Drums and it, it just looks like a bad Affinity deck, right? And Affinity obviously had those draws where it could just self destruct, and this deck right. does too to some some extent. But uh, a lot of the times, like you're you're just getting attacked for ten on turn three. So
1: terrifying deck, and uh, again, a deck I think Modern is better for having, which is weird because it's like you know quick. It, it, it plays the splinter twin role and it does it in a way that I would much rather have that role played than the way splinter twin would do it basically. So I am down with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, I don't know if that's like an analogy or whatever, but I like that thought. And that's kind of how I feel about this deck where it's like, you're, you're threatening to make a, a 10, 11, 12 power thing, like very, very quickly. Right. And then you, even if your stuff gets killed, well, you're going to reload with Luris if if they don't have a reload, yep. right? So you, you just continually threaten to put a hammer on something. And if your opponent like loads up on answers for that and you find a better way to like protect your combo or draw more cards or whatever, it's, you know, you're going to be basically unstoppable. It's like, yeah, they're going to handle your first wave every single time, but like the second, third wave, it's just going to be lights out. I think that's what the reality chip is trying to do, Yeah, which I'm fine with, but it's, it's weird because you already have, you know, it's like they, they overlap on mana cost like reality chip and, and Luris, because it's like three to equip or three to buy the Luris or play the Luris or whatever. True, true. And I would like to find something that doesn't directly compete with this thing that you already have access to.
1: No, that's a good point. It almost feels like they're getting ahead of the Luris ban by exploring these, yeah. uh, you know, reality chip builds. And again, I think like if Luris is eventually banned. Interesting things happen with this deck too. Like you get to consider more of an equipment suite and like Stoneforge Mystic becomes a little bit better in that scenario. And so
0: I've, I've seen lists that I have to don't play Lurus so yep. they can play like a sword and a cauldron or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yep. it's better in XYZ metagames, you know,
1: I buy it. And I, I think it's more interesting too. So uh, another good case for no more companions. How about a third case for no more companions as we round out the rest of the tier list, Gerald.
0: Uh, okay. I was looking to see if we did have more tier one decks. Did you change my tier list at all?
1: No, no, this is, there's, there's three tier one decks. Okay.
0: Yeah. I didn't know if I put the four color deck in tier one or not. I couldn't remember, but yeah. the the I I would have
1: put it there if you didn't. I I think this is a tier one deck.
0: I I could see it in one five, but yeah, I'm not upset that I put it in tier one. So four color mid range, uh, this deck is hard to explain. It's like Ren and Six Teferi Omnath is kind of the core, and I suppose Solitude. And then you have Urian, so you're trying to play some amount of things to do with your Urian. So you have Abundant Growth, Uh, most lists are playing Spreading Seas. Expressive Iteration is kind of weird in a deck that is very clunky, but is still just one of the best cards possible, so you just play it. And then... Some lists were like, well, we need some counter magic. So we're going to play like Dovin's Veto or maybe we'll play like all counterspell. Now they're just playing four counterspells and it's like, just it's, jam it. yep. it's not that easy to cast.
1: It, it's not, but also it's good as the game goes long. And it you're, is. Not, you're not like miserable if you can't necessarily play it on turn two. And in our tier list, when I referred to death shadow as like the prototypical modern deck, I pointed this out as, the modern modern deck. This is like the future of modern, the MH MH2 version of modern with free spells and then just stuff. absurdly powerful stuff that you just glue together via abundant growth and this stupid companion that sits in the exile zone and then draws you six cards at the end of the game and you can never actually come back from and then, you know, really solid removal in the form of prismatic ending, lightning bolt, just super efficient answers and it's strange that this is what modern looks like, but this deck is very good. And I, I think you should count for it. I think you should be ready for it. And it's shocking that this is where we ended up, but like, it's also cool to see because think of how long you couldn't play this style in modern. It just wasn't going to work. You could pretend like Azorius control was a real deck. It wasn't the vast majority of the time. Uh, you know, Jund had moments where it was good, but there were mostly moments where it was it had to be overpowered. Playing fair, has not been a thing through the vast majority of modern history. It's been about finding linear approaches. So this deck, while all of its cards are absurd, it is inherently fair. Like it's looking to just kind of make bodies and draw cards and attack. And it's just weird what you have to use to get to that point. But this is, this is the answer now. And I I half love it and half hate it. That's just the way I feel about this.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think about like 16 year old me getting into magic, you know, and, I'm just like, oh, what does your deck do? Right. And it's just like, oh, well, I I natural order for a big creature, or I like Tap Tlarian Academy for a bunch of mana, and then draw cards where I'm like, okay, okay, that makes sense, right? And then you show me this deck and it's like, what does it do? And you're like, ah, stuff.
1: It's got it's got a lot of good cards in it. That's that's about it.
0: Right. And I'm just like, I I don't get it. And even now, I'm I'm still looking at it. I'm like, I I don't really get it. If not for I think mainly like Gabe and Sief and canister streaming and both of them having a penchant for Omnath locus of creation. I'm not sure that this deck would exist.
1: Maybe not. And it, it's, it does speak to how much like individual content creators can still move the modern metagame. It's, it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. So it it is weird that we have gotten here. And I think, you know, Nassif tried like, Zo list with Omnath, and then he put Omnath in blue-white control. And Canister was playing actual elementals because he wanted to Risen Reef yep. with the pitch elementals. But obviously, you're like, Well, I'm gonna play Omnath, I'm gonna play Ren and Teferi just because they're good cards. And eventually he just like cut the mopey elementals and moved towards something like this. And then I think Kane Reinhardt was the one who added the spreading seas to the deck and everything. Now we're at a place where the deck just plays Ragavan because it's a very good card, like very good Why the mirror. why not not? uh deck wasn't expensive enough right and regavan is is one of the cards that i liked in my grixis control deck because like i would side it out a lot but against decks like tron and amulet and stuff it like gives you a way to actually pressure them because it's so hard to play like a full control role right yep Yep. so that that kind of just like solves some of your problems in that regard and deck just looks super weird but it is good. If you have not played with or against it, I highly recommend that you do so. Same. All right. On to one five, which is a weird category, you know, because it's like, is is it is it actually tier one point five, or can we just call it tier two, and then everything below is tier three? But like I think that these decks are not tier one and they're not tier two, you know? So like what the hell are we supposed to do, right? The
1: the way I view tier one point five is that against the field at large they have an edge against the other tier one decks they may be a step behind or are in some cases a somewhat worse version of an already existing deck and that's the way i've always looked at tier 1.5 yeah does it have to exist no it could just be tier two i mean all this is arbitrary yeah it could be
0: tier two but then like tier two is so large and these decks are definitely better than the other stuff in tier two so yes uh it doesn't make sense for tier two to just be like two decks but whatever uh, so one of them is is it Murktide? One of them is Amulet Titan. Is it Murktide? I think is mostly a bad Shadow deck because yeah. you don't have a companion and you don't have the discard, and your cards are a little bit more clunky. Uh, there are also just a bunch of matchups where counter magic isn't the best form of disruption or like a thing that you necessarily even want. So you're mostly getting by on maybe having like a slightly less painful mana base and having the ability to have more card advantage with like Archmage's Charm in addition to Expressive Iteration, although Shadow covers that by having like Lurus and Mm -hmm. Golagon's Command type of stuff. Uh, But you play Murktide Regent, right? And this is one of the things that has been bothering me the most about Modern is that everyone is just like, I jam Prismatic Ending over everything and I jam uh, like Fatal Push and Lightning Bolt Mm -hmm. over everything. And they just like don't have enough ways to kill Murktide Regent, which is what I, I think is propping this deck up.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. I think that is like the essence of this deck. You're you're basically asking yourself two questions when you're choosing to play this over Death Shadow. And again, I think this justifies the tier 1.5 thing. It's still a great choice. It's still better than the vast majority of decks in Modern. But to play it over Death Shadow, you have to say, I want counter magic more than like hard counter magic more than I want. Black Disruption. And that's not to say Death Shadow can't play counter magic as well. So you have to really be committed to the idea of counter magic. And then the other point is Is Murktide Regent hard to kill? I think the answer to that question is yes right now. Murktide Regent is very hard to kill and super sticky threat. Love that part of the deck. The problem is, I don't think counter magic is where I want to be. I like the proactivity of Death Shadow a little bit more and the way it uses its mana. So Ultimately, lean towards Death Shadow, but you're exactly right. It's all about the sizing of Murktide region and how well it dodges the commonly played removal in the format.
0: And Shadow has drowning the lock, so it's true. You're you're specifically saying know. like I need counterspell to tar- to target seven mana cards or whatever.
1: Yeah, uh, I was I was just thinking about like Luris again making it less interesting because then you would be squeezed between like do I play Grumag Angler and I, it's so it's so strange how much creativity is squeezed out of. Uh, the format by its linearity, but but yeah, you're right. Drown, drown in the lock. Very ready to answer this problem. So
0: yeah, and I, I think Murktide is better if there was a matchup where you just wanted a bunch of counter magic, or if you knew that your opponents couldn't kill Murktide. And I I would not bank on my opponents not being able to kill Murktide because like realistically, they should just be like playing more Terminates or even like Path to Exile. But people just refuse to, and they just keep losing the card. I don't get it, but even in the matchups where maybe you think you want counter magic more, it's like Amulet has a bunch of Cavern of Souls and True. the the combo decks are just like cascade decks a lot of the time. So the discard is completely fine there. Although, you know, Leyline of Sanctity is like good against you out of living in, whereas it doesn't do anything here. But I, I just think that like the discard is usually even just better than the counter magic. So
1: we are on the same page, Gerald.
0: Yeah. Uh, Other tier 1.5 deck, Amulet. Amulet is very good, very scary. Another deck that at various times, I think people should have been more prepared for and they weren't, which is probably why it did so well. And now it's like everyone else's decks, I think are getting better. And Amulet Mm -hmm. has also found a very good list and a very good shell. And it's just like everyone else's decks are better, so they don't need to uh, try and hate on it as much. But they still could afford to have, you know, some more hate cards for this matchup.
1: Yeah, Amulet, of Titan, Amulet Titan has picked up uh, some new inclusions over the past couple set. Cultivator Colossus is a big one. The other one now is Beseju, of course. So these these are big adds. Like, they they are good for the deck. But the, the core has been so solid for so long. And the deck does just kind of, like, do the thing it wants to do. And it keeps getting these upgrades. But they are... Marginal doesn't feel like quite the right word. It, they're not changing the way the ga- the deck operates. Right. Like you could do all the things that this deck did before. It's just maybe you do it a little bit more consistently now, or you have a, a secondary option or a good tertiary option. All those things are being added into the deck, but it's still the same thing at its core, where other decks feel like they're making like fundamental leaps forward.
0: Yeah, Basaju slightly changes things, although for things that don't typically matter right now, like in the case of Blood Moon, for example. Mm-hmm. and yeah. Cultivator Colossus is just like, well, I am slightly more threat-dense, and if I have enough Cavern Souls, I will just never lose to a control deck, which is awesome. That's cool. Yeah. And you don't have to play filler cards like Explore anymore. You know, it's like you have enough of the good stuff going on, and your game plan is very consistent. You have Saga as a backup plan and consistency for finding Amulet and everything. Your cyborg cards are pretty solid. So unless there is something that actually like speeds the deck up or allows it to do something very, very different. This is kind of like the final form that I would expect of it.
1: Yeah. I, and I think it's a fine final form and uh, just good enough for tier 1.5.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very good, but it's still just like, well, I would probably prefer to register something else for a tournament. You know, like if I'm going to consistently be doing something on like turn two, turn three, it should be like hammer or shadow, not this.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you know you invested in one foil deck, and that's kind of what you're stuck <laughs> with, though. Like, I guess it's gonna be Amulet again.
0: Yes, uh, for the Brian's out there, that is true. Yep. So tier two, Azorius control Boros. Although I'm pretty sure I put Burn on here, and you did Prowess.
1: I I did. Uh, I I like Prowess better. I didn't know if you were like tied to the idea of a specific Burn archetype or if. Uh, you had a little bit more flexibility and you were like thinking of both of them. For my money, I think Prowess is the better deck out of the two. Do you disagree?
0: I do. Uh, I I think Prowess is good, but definitely gets hated on by a lot of the same stuff that like Shadow and uh, Hammer would. And Burn's main draw for me is the fact that so much of what the format is about doesn't interact with them very well. It's like yeah, you kill my creatures, but then I will just burn you out and there's no way for you to really stop me because, like, no one's really playing life gain, whereas if you stabilize against this deck, uh, you're probably not going to get burned out.
1: Yeah, I think this deck has picked up a lot of reach, though, in terms of, like, just good card draw engines. Like, now having both Light Up the Stage and Reckless Impulse means you have multiple draw twos, so you still have your Lurus, Mishra's Bauble stuff going on. It's tough to run this deck out of cards. and
0: It's tough to run them out of cards, but, I mean, that's just, like, a different way of trying to... Like you're trying to ignore their removal spells by like drawing more creatures, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the better plan for modern as a whole is just, just drawing burn
1: spells. spells.
0: And I I think this is a fine plan. Don't get me wrong; it's not bad. It's just and it like this this deck also has been doing pretty well lately. You know? It, yeah. So here's
1: my question for you: if if you have you have burn in this slot in your eyes, so you don't think prowess is a tier two worthy deck, you'd have it like below the, all the other decks here. Tier two point five. Okay, tier 2.5. I can live with that.
0: It, prowess is a, a good deck in a vacuum. It ha, it's kind of like Amulet, but worse, where you now have all the pieces for what you would want for this sort of deck. Like you don't have to do weirdo stormwing entity stuff anymore to have like a cohesive mm-hmm. prowess deck. It's like you have all the one drops, you have all the card drawers, you have all the like burn and things that trigger prowess and everything, but it's just like that compared to what the rest of modern is doing is not a good game plan.
1: How about sideboarding? Like, I I think this deck sideboards pretty well for what it is. And that's, that would be another big draw of it to me. Like you never quite go full control, full mid range, but you can be disruptive, like sneakily disruptive.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And if you're doing that, then just play shadow. Sure. Like so many of these cards, I would rather just have like thoughtsies instead of, you know,
1: I would always rather have a Thoughtseize. Yeah, I I still stand by the opinion that this is a better deck than the Boros Burn deck. Your argument doesn't strike me as off base, though. And if I didn't have Boros Burn here, it would also be tier 2.5 for me. So I kind of looked at this slot as encompassing both, and then I just chose one list. I think my concession, when I next update the list, I'll just add Boros Burn to the same spot. And then no, I well, mean, that'll what, be our compromise.
0: It's all semantics. You know, it's like, this is not down to a science.
1: It's just like Look, that. That's what we're here for semantics. I mean, we literally host a podcast. I don't know if semantics didn't exist. Neither would we. Yeah, so. that's
0: fair. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be able to talk for over an hour. Right. I think regardless, these decks are good in certain metagames. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why they're in tier two. It's like you can you could jam this deck whatever Boros deck on, on magic online for a year straight in varying metagames to varying degrees of success, but it it would always be solid success. Yep. And I think where you see your win rate spike would just be at different times. Sure. But I would not necessarily take either of these deck to any single tournament, you know?
1: Yeah. When it comes to modern, I've always been a tier one, tier 1.5 type guy. Although I look at the next deck on our uh, tier two list and this this is a deck I considered taking to a tournament fairly recently. So
0: Golgari Ogmoth. yeah, It's good. Kind of like kind of like Amulet. This is nearing its final form until it gets like a very specific print. People have done good work to tune it. Grist is added a lot. Ignoble Hierarch has added a decent amount. Poseage is kind of cool. People are figuring out like how to sideboard and everything, yep. but it's still just it. It is stuck in doing what it does.
1: I think it's the best creature combo deck. Something has to occupy that slot and creature combo uh, is going to exploit certain metagames. And... I think
0: I think Heliod's making a comeback though.
1: Okay, interesting. With the addition of Grist, I think this deck mostly just has a leg up on that deck. Is there a reason why you think Heliod is well positioned right now? Uh, or is it just seeing more play than it was previously?
0: It, it's seeing more play and it's probably just, you know, like more of the one drop creature decks versus like big control decks. And Mm -hmm. you know, I I do think that it has like better matchups. I do think it's gotten some like pretty interesting cards too. Whereas the deck instead of being like a clunky three and four mana pile is now a lot cheaper as a whole, which is definitely good for it and for its backup plan and everything. Yeah. Uh, It's still hell to play on magic online. So it's difficult to say.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good point
0: difficult to say like how how big it would actually be in a real life tournament where people were under the impression that it was good for example but we're in the world we're in you know
1: yeah that's a i mean like i said i'm i'm fascinated to see how paper metagames change what we think of modern because it certainly got to shake things up a little bit so
0: uh next up we have jun saga also with lurus of course this is basically grix's shadow but kind of worse
1: but worse yep
0: Tarmogoyf used to be my jam. Just does not do it for me anymore.
1: Let me. I, I just want to read what, how, what I wrote about this deck because I wanted to name someone very specific. I want to see if you can come up with who I was thinking of. And uh, they certainly are good natured enough that I could have named them. And we'll see if you can pick out who is supposed to be. So what I wrote was maybe Gen Saga Luris is just a far worse version of a top tier deck like Grixis Shadow. It doesn't matter. Idiot Boomers, aka me. Uh, I wanted to name someone else there, but I put myself in the spotlight. Can't get enough of Thoughtseize or Inquisition into Tarmogoyf, and nowadays they're at least trying to show how fresh and hip they are by getting real magic cards like Urza's Saga, Loris of the Dream Den, and Mishra's Bauble into their foiled-out Relic of a 75. Understand how your matchup changes against pressure from Tarmogoyf, and you'll get to hold it over the washed-up ex-Semi-Pros at your LGS on a weekly basis.
0: So I'm supposed to name someone who has a foil version of this deck? Uh,
1: it doesn't... I mean, like, that's the the guy thing, is that, like, the deck is always foil. Yes. Plays it yeah, yeah, yeah. I had someone in mind while I was writing this, besides myself, because I also fall under this category. But
0: I do too. Although I'd like to think that I moved past it after playing John at a pro tour. Okay, I probably haven't. Let's be real. But yeah, uh, I don't know who you're talking about now.
1: Okay, I was gonna, I was gonna name Snook. I'm sorry. Snook. Oh
0: yeah, Snook's a good one.
1: Yeah, he's he's a John guy. I can't blame him. I love this stuff. I I love playing John decks. It's worse. Grixis Death Shadow though in so many ways
0: i do the same stuff but w- just with grixis you know and like
1: yeah, yeah granted
0: i think that that was maybe part of the reason for like the shadow resurgence was that like the control grixis decks were doing so well and then people sure. were just like i hate not attacking and then they just jam some creatures into it <laughs> just and, couldn't take it anymore yeah. ruined it yeah. but uh, th- i mean there are also people working on like shadow independently like before that happened so who knows whatever Yeah, John's basically worst version of Shadow. I mean, if you're going to, if you want to play like a big threat, Tarmogoyf just isn't it. Two mana is so much and you don't get very much. And Mm -hmm. That's
1: wild to say, but I agree 100%.
0: Tarmogoyf used to be so good at being a brick wall. And now even against like the prowess creatures, like they just run right through it or like DRC flies over it, you know? Like, I guess it does block Regavan, but like... You know, so would Shadow or your own Rag- anything.
1: Man, you know? Anything blocks Ragavan. That's not that's not Ragavan's strength. It has many strengths, but uh, surviving combat, not one of
0: them. Yeah, so I, I don't really like this. Uh, Saga is good. This is a good version of John's. Kind of similar to everything else. It's like this is just what it is capable of doing at its peak efficacy, and that is just not where I want to be. With you, uh, Belcher, March of Reckless Joy in this Belcher list. Love to yep. see it. Yep. Kind of called that for Storm, but it makes sense here. So that's dope. I think this deck is good.
1: I do too. I think this is the perfect deck to actually round out tier two because it doesn't see anywhere near the amount of play it probably should. I think that's because it's like not going to be a particularly good time playing it most of the time. And, you know, you kind of feel like you're leaving your tournament up the to chance. Although th- this isn't like Legacy Belcher. It's a very different scenario and there is more play to it. But you are giving up some degree of agency and people don't like to do that. So you don't see as much Belcher as you should, but there's always got to be something in modern, which is just like the balls to the wall, hyper linear combo. Neoform occupied this space for a very long time. Neoform sort of does it better, but like not like it's, it's better at just being the completely blow you out of the water. Turn one deck for sure. But Belcher is more consistent and you want to tone it down just a little bit and get to a place where Belcher is your representative of that archetype. So one of the things I want this tier list to be is like, you're going to a tournament, you can look at this and choose your deck from it. And that's totally fine. You know, you choose anything from the top tier, I think you'll be served well. But also if for whatever reason, you're not going to do this, if you're going to have a good time, you don't care about winning the tournament, you want to be semi-competitive. I want this to be something you can refer to, to say, what do I need to account for? What What do I need to prepare for? What is the rest of the format? And I think like putting Belcher on here serves a much better purpose than putting on, you know, another worse than Death Shadow deck that could occupy the same slot.
0: I think if if there is like anything that I do better than anyone else in Magic, it is accounting for like the one or two percent decks in mm-hmm. the metagame. Because I don't necessarily do it at an opportunity cost. I just try and get my percentage points where I can for free. And Belcher is definitely one of the decks that I would want to account for, even if it's not a big part of the metagame share. And like some of it is like, oh yeah, you know, like a lot of the stuff that you would use to interact with like a Belcher on the stack or whatever are things that would be good against Cascade, like Living End, or, you know, you want to blow up artifacts. Well, you want to blow up artifacts against Hammer too, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just like, well, maybe I would have like an extra one of those cards in my deck and also just you know, be aware that like Belcher is a deck and know what their deck is capable of too. And I think that that is like the big difference between like me playing an archetype, someone else playing the same archetype and like maybe me getting like an extra win or two out of the event uh, than someone else.
1: Yep, I, I would get the same wins, I think. Via careful sideboarding. I mean, when I was yeah. doing very well at Magic, it was mostly through building very cohesive, very well-planned sideboards that accounted for what they needed to account for. And that's why Belcher Series just gives you one more thing to keep in the back of your memory. And like you said, you don't want six anti-Belcher specific hate cards in your sideboard. You just want to push some of those numbers up to things that can also interact with this deck.
0: The, the best example of this that I just thought of is uh, Pro Tour Rivals, where I played Mardu Pyromancer. Mm-hmm. and I asked Mattia Ritzi what he was playing he said Mardu I was currently in a league with Mardu and I was like well here are the, the problems I had and he showed me his list and I was like this solves a lot of the problems right so we kind of worked on it we we're talking about our sideboard and I was like I want to play two wear and tears." and he's like wear and tear why what for what matchup and he's you know like I think we pulled up goldfish and we're like going down the list of the the top decks right and it's just like which one of these decks do you want wear and tear for and I was like dude I, like modern moderns wide open you know it's weird right Yep. And I <laughs> I played against Ad nauseum playing for top eight. It's like Leyline of Sanctity, Lotus Bloom type of stuff, right? And it's just like right. modern is a weird format. People are not only going to play the top tier. And like this was also modern, whereas like Tron's good and humans are good, but like not by much, right? You know, people, there's certainly going to be like 25% humans, but then what everyone else plays past that is going to be like 2% this, 2% this, 2% this, right? Yep. Yep, <laughs> I, I I think that he told me like he lost to like Leyline of the Void, Rest in Peace, like all, all the stuff, right? And I was just like, yeah, I, I played against those and I just killed them with my, my wear tears and I got to play against Adnazion for top eight and like killed her Phyrexian on life. So
1: Yep, easy game.
0: All it takes, two sideboard slots, covers you against random nonsense. Uh, so for the stuff that's not on tier two, I think yeah. that a lot of people would just be like, What about this? Which is usually like, this is the deck that they play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yep.
1: There's a lot of that going on.
0: Yeah. I play this. Why isn't my deck good? Uh, Team of rhinos.
1: Yep. That was the one more than anything else. Living
0: end. I would put on the list now.
1: I, I said that I was closer to putting living end on than I was team of rhinos. So
0: Tron, which I think is always a threat and is kind of one of those things where like people are not like respecting a lot, but also is at its final form is only as good as it's going to be. So maybe they don't necessarily have to like shadow could probably just beat them even without a bunch of hate.
1: Right. That would be in like my tier 2.5. Yeah. Same area.
0: There are so many blue artifact decks and I'm just waiting for them all to kind of like coalesce into a shell that is very good and for everyone to copy it. And then that'll be like solidly tier two or
1: Mm
0: 1.5. Mill. Not good. I don't think scary. And I might put like an Emmercule in my sideboard depending on the deck I'm playing, but not great dredge again kind of scary usually you see some graveyard hate in people's sideboards uh in shadow they'll play like nile Spellbomb for the mirror if you're worried about living End, which is now like a magic online thing that you do need to worry about maybe you play soul guide lantern instead because they're going to layline you um uh, yeah. but regardless like you're playing some amount of graveyard hate for dredge and i would i would be the person that's just like oh there are no graveyard decks i guess i'm playing you know two soul Guide lanterns or whatever uh what else what else do you think is like two five to your three? You're like uh, people are mad.
1: No, you did you did a good job running it out there. Living end is my next deck up. Like that would be my next thing to have on the list. I have never really been in love with rhinos. I just think like it's you know it, we t- it's got the tarmogoy problem. Yeah, who is who is the rhino playing good against? Like I just don't believe it's good against anyone, and I, I don't know. I don't. I've never believed in it, and obviously, it has won tournaments not really recently. Like if you if you look around there's not a lot of rhinos in the Magic Online challenge results. Again, I, I I'll track it as we get back to paper play. I want to see what happens there. Uh how represented it is in that field, but never a deck that's impressed me, so just one of those things that we made the tier list and neither one of us likes the deck very much, so that's not going to make it. In terms of what's missing, I I like this tier list. I think it's a good representation of the top of the format i think this is the most useful thing i can present to someone uh if if it was just utility i think there's enough people making the rhinos mistake that you can make a case that it's supposed to be on this tier list because you should be aware of it and accounting for it but that's that's the whole thing you don't have to account for it like do your thing and your thing can compete with rhinos in the vast majority of instances and if you account for it then you're just miles ahead
0: yeah like like hammer who cares right yep you just try and do your thing. It's going to beat theirs. Shadow is mostly similar, but I think that there are definitely instances where it's like, oh, maybe you, maybe you want to play a chalice or uh, an explosives or or whatever, Mm -hmm. just to get some percentage points there. I I think this was like really a, a big deal when explosives was actually good and people were just not really playing them. And like rhinos was doing well. And it's like, I mean, this is why, like, there's a card that, like, you could be playing and would be good in your deck and would be good against Ryan. easy
1: adjustment. Very easy adjustment.
0: Yeah. So, uh, things like that. Uh, Consider that Modern is a very, very large format and, you know, people do have narrow deck selection a lot of the time because of, like, preferences or card availability or whatever. And you can run into anything at any time. And if you can account for those things kind of for free, you will be pretty well served for it, and I, I kind of think that's what the the four color, uh, URI index are doing now. Where it's like, well, they have some reg events, they have some counter spells, and like they're accounting for not just the top tier, right? It's like, well, now they have game if they actually play against Tron, for example.
1: Right, right, yeah, just getting broader and broader in their their play base. and uh, that's modern in a nutshell, right? I- account for everything, be proactive, be quasi linear, or just play absurd spells, and that's how you get ahead.
0: Account for as much as you possibly can. And good life advice. Yeah. but Part of that involves being linear to some degree or at least like proactive. And I think that that is what Shadow is doing
1: best. Can I tell you, good show this week. Significantly less miserable than the last few shows, I will say. I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, not that I like didn't enjoy doing the past few shows. I always enjoyed doing the show. Just in a, a bad mood about Magic, but doing these tier lists these last couple of weeks, both these formats are really good. Standards really good. Uh, Modern is excellent, and you know you gotta you gotta start turning the corner somewhere. Obviously, many of my problems with Magic have nothing to do with how good various decks are, right? Same. But it was it was still nice to get into this and and find some really nice surprises and uh, just see generally healthy meta, meta games. So good to see. Good job, Wizards. Thumbs up. Enjoy I mean, that billion dollars.
0: I mean <laughs> you quote unquote earned it. Uh modern modern does have some problems though, you know. Like don't don't gloss over that. But like despite those problems, it's it's still very fun, enjoyable, whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's moves to make. Like I said, Lurus is a no-brainer to me. I think it's all upside. We've we've ripped off the band band-aid and nobody is going to lose their mind about Lurus being gone. So I I would make that move. But even in the absence, we have a, a pretty good format.
0: Yeah, I mean, who who gets mad if you just delete Luris?
1: Nobody. There's no chance anyone cares.
0: But you think keep Urian? Just allow it. Just let it happen.
1: In some ways, the decks that play Urian are they they just need something like that, and having something that is just this mush of mid range spells is good for modern and pretty sure but maybe it could just be like Niv-Mizzet or something like maybe the world's a better place when that's the thing that looks like this and not yurian so uh, it's probably not good enough anymore though so I, I think Urian is also terrible but at least does something that could be argued as net positive for the format Lurus has zero upside yes so.
0: yep agreed
1: game <laughs> Good luck!